We are on session six. Yes. Uncomplicated relationships. Yes. Anybody have any of those? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we begin with question number one. What are some key characteristics you look for in a good friend? Confidentiality. Confidentiality, okay. You want to know that they can keep, keep a secret. Yes. They don't like to run to the telephone and spread their stuff, right? Yeah. Called gossip. Loyalty. Huh? Loyalty. Loyalty. Reliability. Kind. Kind. Okay. Loving. Loving, okay. Dependable. Dependable. Huh? Better than money. Huh? Good friend. Better than money. Okay. Better than money. Okay. Honesty. Honesty. Trusting. Okay. Okay. All those are good qualities. Yes. And if we have no statistical evidence to prove this, but some of our most enjoyable relationships just may be those we had as small children. No drama, no demands on each other. We were just kids, simply playing together and enjoying having someone to play with. As we grow older, though, our tendency towards self-centeredness often seeps into our friendships. We make a friendship about ourselves and what the other person can do for us. We try to mold the other person into the person we want them to be. If they won't cooperate, we find new friends. Mm. Simple friendship becomes complicated. It would be nice to get back to the simplicity of our childhood relationships. And that's not as unrealistic or naive as some people might think. Pursuing simplicity in our lives includes our relationships and in his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul gave us insights into what such an uncomplicated relationship looks like. It's all driven by love, not a love for ourselves, but a love for God that carries over into how we love others. Okay, wouldn't it be great to have that kind of childhood simplicity in our relationships oh, today? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Things have become so complicated. What? What's the point? Let God's love drive how you relate to others. Okay, not your love, which God. ebbs and flows, but God's love, which doesn't ebb and flow like ours do. Living a life of simplicity includes living in simplicity in our relationships with others. Just as we can simplify our lives by eliminating the demands we place on ourselves, we can simplify our relationships by eliminating the demands we place on others. We can avoid the drama that complicates our relationships with an attitude that puts Christ first, people second, and ourselves third. Good advice, right? Very good advice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this session on relationships. You know that we do need it in order to uncomplicate some of those relationships that are so complicated in our lives. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us in our relationships by gleaning from our study today what we need to make the application to make them better. 
We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, before reading the passages, let me give you the setting of our session for today. Paul wrote first and second Thessalonians to encourage Christians as they struggle to serve the Lord in a challenging environment, pretty much like what we have today. He also wanted to give them complete assurance that about the return of Christ, like many people need today as well. In first and second and in first Thessalonians four, he provided practical instructions on how to grow toward maturity in relationships with each other as Christian siblings. At the heart of his instruction was an eagerness for believers to allow God's love to saturate their interpersonal relationships. And that's the key. God's love to impact or to saturate or to soak our interpersonal relationships. Uh, sometimes our love is not, is not enough. It's not good enough. It's not solid. It's not genuine. We need God's love to be able to do what only it can do. Okay, let's look at the passages that we have for today. First Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 5. We want to take that one. But this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. As we dig into this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, we'll see principles that apply to all types of relationships. But Paul began with a specific focus, guard against sexual immorality. The world today has attempted to redefine what constitutes sexual immorality. Some people refuse to call immoral anything to two consenting adults agree to do. God has a different standard, however. Sexual intimacy is to be experienced only between one man and one woman within a marriage relationship. Clearly then, anything outside or beyond that boundary constitutes sexual immorality. God's will is clear in this, as his people, we are to keep away from sexual immorality. Ultimately, God's will is tied to our sanctification, being set apart for his purposes and his glory. When we live by the world's standard, we are not living holy, set apart, set apart lives. When we pursue whatever lust our sinful nature craves, we are not living for God's glory, but for our own. We are not made holy or sanctified through such behavior. Therefore, therefore, we are out of God's will. Those who oppose this biblical standard say it restricts their freedom, but in truth, they are enslaved to their harmful lusts. True, true freedom and true enjoyment comes from God's standard. An acquaintance once described a middle school experience where the PE teacher let the boys play basketball with no rules. It didn't matter how you got the ball in the hoop. A kid with the ball might be physically picked up and carried to the goal. The players got tackled. In that moment, he learned the value of rules. Rules free us to enjoy the game. In the same way, 
living according to the rules God has laid out for our lives leads to an enjoyable life. Following God's will regarding our sanctification and purity in relationships calls for two actions that are inseparable. One, keep away from sexual immorality. Two, know how to control our bodies. Someone once placed a one-pound bag of Reese's peanut butter cups on my desk. For me, this was like a manna straight from heaven. <laughs> I could eat Reese's cups like potato chips, and I often did. However, I was starting a diet and didn't need these sweets in my life. So I placed the candy in a closet out of sight. I may have hidden the candy, but I knew where it was. I had not learned to control my body, so anytime the craving hit me, I went to the hiding place and indulged. It was too easy when the temptation was three steps away. The only way I was going to stay completely away from the candy was to get rid of it, to keep it away completely. I threw it in the trash. The same principle applies to relationships. We must rid ourselves of all things that lead us to think or act inappropriately toward others. We won't keep immoral or inappropriate thoughts and actions away simple by hiding them in the closet. We must remove them completely from our lives and in their place, we surround ourselves with relationships that encourage our purity and walk with Christ. We control our bodies even as we give our thoughts to Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Philippians 4 and 8. Okay, good verse to memorize. Okay, a couple of explanations from uh, what we've read already. Sanctification. Uh, it's one of those big words we have in the Bible. It means to be set apart for God. Another word is simply holy. Holy. God wants us to be holy. Holy carries the idea of spiritual growth from spiritual infancy or babe to spiritual maturity. And then another word we see uh, and hear a lot about is God's will. You know, you hear people talk about wanting God's will or looking for God's will or searching for God's will or desiring God's will. Uh, God's will, spiritual maturity is what God intends to happen in the life of every single believer, none excluded. That's what God wants for all of us. Now, some people decide, well, you know, I don't want to go that far. I just want to be at this level. Uh, but spiritual maturity is what God requires of all of his children. He wants all of us to get there. God's will is much more than seeking the direction from, a, from, from God at a specific crossroads on your journey, like some people do. When you get a particular point in their life, uh, a crossroads, or what we call a fork in the road, then they talk about seeking God's will. Uh, but God's will is a spiritual growth in him, is that spiritual growth in them become a daily priority for believers. <clears throat> daily priority is spiritual growth, uh, is God's will for every single believer. So that's something we, we ought to be uh, endeavoring for every day, not just when we get to a crisis or a crossroads. <clears throat> and then there's that word immorality. 
primary issue in this context was sexual immorality. And this was a call for sexual purity uh, for the believer. But notice, uh, following God's will regarding our sanctification and purity in relationships calls for two actions that are absolutely inseparable. You can't separate them. One, keep away from sexual immorality. Stay away from it. Run from it. Remember when uh, what Paul told, told Timothy? Flee youthful lusts. In other words, we used to say we, when we were small, break off running. Okay. Remember Joseph? Yes. When, uh, when, the, when part of his, what, part of his, part of his wife approached him? Uh-huh. He was what you call broke off running. <laughs> Left all his clothes behind. Okay. That's what he's talking about here. Keep away. And then to know how to control our bodies. It's your body. You should yes. be able to control it, right? Yes. Sometimes people allow their bodies to control them. Like the story we hear about the, the rhesus peanut butter cups. Uh, the rhesus controlled that lady's body because the rhesus drove her to the closet or wherever she had the stuff hidden. So we have to know two things. Keep away from sexual immorality and know how to control your body. Two actions that are inseparable. And then we have uh, the importance uh, the importance of setting relational boundaries. And that is important. Uh, what are boundaries for? What are boundaries for? Protection, safety. Right from wrong. Okay. Uh, out on, on Cable Beach, they have some sea walls up. And they are intended to keep the sea off the road. But sometimes the sea gets so rough that uh, they, have to, they have to get a, a, a payload out there because the road is filled with sand. Yeah. The, the barriers uh, are not high enough when the sea gets rough sometimes and, yeah. and it washes all the sand up on the street and uh, a tractor have to come out there and scoop up the sand and put it back in the sea. Okay, but uh, the barriers are there to prevent that from happening, but it doesn't always work. No. Men must devote themselves, or uh, anyone should devote themselves to themselves sexually to their wives exclusively. Men, discipline is required to bring one's body under control. Discipline. We cannot strive around growth. We cannot strive toward growth in Christ and give in to sexual immorality at the same time. Those two things can't go together. Don't work. But then we have some, some contrasts. Uh, a person whose body is under control to those who allow lust to control them. Lust desires can enslave us. There are many people today who are enslaved to lustful desires. And um, their lives are in a dime, downward spiral. Um, to be like the Gentiles means to live with no sexual moral standard. And so if someone calls you a Gentile is not a good thing. Okay? No moral standard. No sexual moral standard. And uh, as we get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a continuing increasing problem for many people. Okay, question number two. 
What are some relationship rules you've seen work well? Some relationship rules you've seen work well. Honesty. Hmm? Honesty. Honesty. Okay. With friends, with friendship, right? Yes. Okay. You'd be surprised at how many friendships are destroyed because of a lack of honesty between friends. Yeah. Okay. What else? Only talk about ourselves, not other people. Okay. Only talk about yourselves, not other people. That is called what? Gossiping. Gossip. With a big G. Big, big G. Anything else? Some relationship rules you've seen work well. Probably not with yourself, but with others. Someone else. Setting a good example. Hmm? Setting a good example. Setting a good example. Okay. Because people are always watching. You may not realize it, but people are watching you. Uh, and of course, you're watching others as well. So in the same way you are watching others, people are watching you. Okay, next we will uh, we'll see God's response to those who take advantage of others in the practice of sexual immorality. We have a lot of that in our word today too. Look at the, the next passage, uh, verses 4, 6 to 8 of 1 Thessalonians 4. We want to take that one. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, and we also previously told and warned you. But God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Paul gave us two words of instruction for keeping our relationships on the right footing. One, don't transgress against another person. To transgress is to overreach, to breach the boundaries God has established. The wording implies an offense against God. Two, don't take advantage of another person. We take advantage of someone when we exploit the person or the relationship. We're dishonest and are dealing in order to gain something. This implies an offense against the person. Although each word or phrase has a slightly different emphasis, these two instructions are two sides of the same coin. When we breach boundaries or take advantage of another person, we also sin against God. Conversely, when we seek to please God, we will not do those things that are offenses against others. Many will read these two instructions in light of Paul's previous words in verses 3 to 5 about sexual immorality. Don't transgress God's law by taking advantage of someone sexually. That is certainly true, but the principle goes beyond sexual sin. As we read verses 6 to 8, we do not want to lose sight of the fact Paul had been addressing sexual behavior. But we also need to read this truth in light of what it says about all our relationships. The full context of this passage centers on our sanctification. Our walk with Christ means that we are to be pure in every way in how we relate to others. No one likes to take advantage of, no one likes to be taken advantage of, but we've all experienced it. It's disheartening when we discover someone has befriended us only for what he or she can personally gain from us. The guy at work who flatters you and goes out of his way to be helpful 
hoping you would reciprocate with sexual favors. The neighbor who feigns friendship so that she can sell you something. The person who joins the church with hopes of gaining new clients for his business. Layers, unwanted layers, get added to what should be a simple friendship or relationship. The person is no longer interested in us as individuals, but as a means to an end. We need to be on guard then to make sure we are not viewing anyone, whether or, whether or most intimate relationship or a complete stranger, as someone whose purpose is to meet our own needs. When we treat people as objects for our needs, we lose sight of the image of God in them. Such an attitude is an offense against the person and against God. Paul gave us three strong reasons why we should not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister. One, such behavior is subject to punishment by God, who is an avenger of all these offenses. While abusing our relationship with others will bring both physical and relational consequences, Paul had in mind a time in the future when all sin will be judged. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. 2. Such behavior is inconsistent with the call to live in holiness. Our fear of punishment can certainly be a strong motivator, but a great motivation should be our desire to please Christ. Paul heartened the Corinthian believers by writing, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him, 2 Corinthians 5 and 9. Through Christ's work, he has set us apart, set apart from sin and set apart to live from him. To be set apart in Christ, sanctified, is to live a life of holiness. 3. Such behavior is rejection of God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Failure to, failure to live a holy life is a failure to live under the Lordship of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. To ignore the power of the Spirit God has given us to live holy lives constitutes rejection of the One who blessed us with His gifts. Okay. Very good points. One of the things you need to be mindful of it too is that sexual immorality causes Christians to take advantage of other people when they should know better, right? Yes. We take advantage of others, we disregard them as individuals to be, to be respected, regarding them only as opportunities for satisfying our own lust. When we practice sexual immorality, God is absolutely and totally displeased. And we read how he will deal with that in the coming day, right? Two words for, uh, of instruction for keeping our relationships on the right footing. Don't transgress against another person. To transgress is to overreach or to breach the boundaries God has established. The wording implies an offense not only against the person, but an offense against God. And then, secondly, don't take advantage of another person 
we take advantage of someone when we exploit the person or the relationship. We are dishonest in our dealing in order to gain something. This implies an offense against the person. All right, so we've got two areas, two instructions for uh, keeping our relationships on firm or solid footing. Don't transgress, don't take advantage of another person. A couple of examples uh, given of how people can take advantage of others. The guy at work who flatters you and goes out of his way to help to be helpful, hoping you will reciprocate with sexual favors. Now, there's both, both male and female are doing it these days. Okay? Uh, not just the guys. And then the neighbor who finds friendship so that she can sell you something. You know, she never spoke to you before. Not a word. Not even a hi as you're going out, 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 out the driveway. And all of a sudden, she's friendly. Wonder why? Because she's trying to sell some products. Uh-huh. I wouldn't have met anyone like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, they never spoke to you, and when they speak to you, you're surprised. Wow. <laughs> what happened? Oh, what changed? <laughs> and then, the, and then we, it was mentioned already. The person who joins the church in hopes of gaining new clients for their business. <laughs> you wonder why they came to church. Never saw them before. <laughs> and then we got uh, three reasons why we not to act this way. Such behavior is subject to punishment by God, who is an avenger of all these offenses. Bible tells us that don't take revenge, God will. And then, secondly, such behavior is inconsistent with the call to live in holiness. Such behavior is a rejection of God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. And whenever we do anything that is offensive to God, we grieve God the Holy Spirit. In other words, we cause him pain. And we know what pain is, right? And we, many of us, don't like pain. All right? So remember that. Whenever we grieve the Holy Spirit, we cause him pain. Just like we experience pain. So we have two reasons why we need to, um, though there may be others, but avoid sexual immorality. Holiness, moral behavior, immoral behavior clashes with God's call for believers to be set apart for him. And then rejecting God, engaging in sexual immorality causes believers to cross the line formed by marriage, which means we reject God. So holiness and rejecting God are two other reasons for avoiding sexual immorality in our lives. Number, question number three. Why do you think God places a high value on purity? Our bodies are the temple of the living God. Right, your bodies are the temple of the living God. He is is pure. He is pure pure and he is holy. And what does he say to us about holiness? Be holy as I am holy. Alright, so we see why he places a high priority or high value on purity. 
Okay, next we will discover how we should act toward others. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 to 12. We'll take that one. Last one. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. Up to this point, we focus primarily on things we shouldn't do in our relationships. But how should we act toward others? In quick succession, Paul gave us four commands. One, love one another. This command to express brotherly love toward one another was nothing new to the Thessalonians, and Paul had no new revelation to add about love beyond what God had already taught them. The apostle may have earlier communicated Jesus' love on teaching on love, but certainly the Holy Spirit led them to know and understand the value and need for loving kindness. They were taught by God. The proof that the Thessalonians had received God's teaching on brotherly kindness was seen in their actions. They were demonstrating love toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. What a great testimony for any church. Consider what would happen if your group or your church became known for its brotherly love more than anything else. John 13, 34 to 35. By displaying God-centered love in all our actions and relationships, others will take notice. That's what happened with the Thessalonians. For the word of the Lord rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. 1 Thessalonians 1.8 Paul did not need to challenge them to love others, but he encouraged them to keep at it and to do this even more. 2. Seek to lead a quiet life. I come from a large Hispanic family. When we get together for holiday meals, we are anything but quiet. But that's not the type of quiet Paul called for. His admonition had nothing to do with how loud or soft we speak. Elsewhere, Paul calls us to speak boldly and share the gospel. 2 Corinthians 3.12 and Philippians 1.14. So this is not a call to avoid boldness. Rather, a quiet life is one that does not generate anger, conflict, or hostility. Sometimes conflict or hostility are unavoidable, such as when we take a stand for righteousness that is in contrast to the actions and desires of others. But it should be our goal and ambition to live quietly and keep the peace. Three, mind your own business. This is a phrase we certainly understand and value in others. It is the perfect complement to leading a quiet life because those leading quiet lives should not be meddling in the day-to-day -day affairs of others. We certainly have a responsibility to hold our brothers and sisters accountable for living godly lives for Christ. 
Love compels us to help, support, and encourage others, but that is a far cry from meddling and sticking our nose where it doesn't belong. What? Or work with your own hands. We are not to shirk our responsibilities, even if some tasks are tedious or seem demeaning. We bring dignity to whatever work we do, and whatever we do, we do it to please Christ. Yes. Whatever you do it, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Colossians 3.23 Why is this important? Our relationships with those outside the family of Christ are also important, and we reflect Christ in the way we do our work and in how we relate to co-workers and others. When we behave properly in the presence of outsiders and do not be dependent on anyone, we will have no hidden motives or barriers in our relationships, and we will present a positive picture of a Christ follower. Okay. We have four commands in there. You notice those four commands? Yes. Love. Love one another. Seek. Seek to lead a quiet life. And Mind your own business and work with your own hands. So with verse 9, Paul began to instruct them on how to express brotherly love in ways that would allow them to nourish healthy relationships. He used a Greek word for brotherly love that would suggest the affection family members would have for each other. Peter and the writer of Hebrews used the same words to describe such love in Hebrews 13 and 1 Peter 1 and 2. Paul affirmed that he didn't need to teach about this kind of love because God had already taught them. Thanks to him, they could identify it and live it out in their interpersonal relationships. So when we treat others like the beloved family members, we express that kind of love. We demonstrate this love in actions as well as words. We don't generate us generate it ourselves. It's the kind of love God nourishes in our intimate walk with Him, and it spills over into our relationship with our spiritual siblings in Christ. Our time is basically gone, but a um, couple of points: live quiet lives, mind your own business, work with your own hands. Cannot be stressed enough. All right, because plenty, plenty of people get in trouble because of not doing those four things. Last question, number five. How can we live a life of true simplicity by following the instructions in these verses? Love unconditionally. Love unconditionally, okay. How can we... Well, you can write these little points down on a card and put it on your bathroom mirror. Okay. Put it on the front of your dashboard. Um... Put it in your pocket, in your yeah. wallet. You can just remember. Use yourself. index cards. Yeah. Yes. Use index cards. Put them where they need to be. Uh-huh. Put them where you need to see them. Yeah. Now we don't have the time, but we we, we uh, have this handout sent out. You saw that? Yes. Um, six signs of a healthy relationship: affection, respect, shared value, and these are the, some of the things that you mentioned originally when we talked about the quality of, that we find we want in a relationship. Shared values, honesty, trust, freedom to be, okay, good uh, advice to have, six signs of a healthy relationship. I encourage you to read that over 
and uh, act upon it. What is the point? Point is that God's love drives how you relate to others. Now, it's your love because our love ebbs and flows. God's love. How do we live this out then? Will you? What will you do this week so that God's love drives you to relate to others? Evaluate. Review your list of friendships and ask yourself, why are we friends? Why are we friends? Are we friends because the person wants something from me or I want something from them? Determine to see the people you interact with as people loved by God and not as individuals placed here to meet your needs. Evaluate. And then apologize. If you have a relationship with someone that is not Christ-honoring, seek to change that. Apologize if needed. Rebuild the relationship based on your love for Christ. So evaluate and apologize. And then thirdly, connect. Surround yourself with a group of believers who will encourage your relationship. Help each other maintain uncomplicated relationships. The Bible study group is a great place to start. So we got three options there. We can evaluate, apologize, connect, or do all three. Okay? So, as we wrap up and close out, remember, reflect on living a life of simplicity, especially in the areas of relationships, and consider taking specific steps based on the topics we discussed today in this session. So, take your notes, make your notes, and take your notes. Use index cards, put them where they need to be, on the refrigerator, on your dashboard, or somewhere in your car where you'll always see them and be able to act upon them. Amen? Amen. Let's close. Father, help us to honor you by the way we treat others in our relationships day in and day out. May you be glorified and not reproached by our actions. We thank you for this time, for this session, for what we've uncovered, what we've been reminded of, and we pray, O Lord, that you would bless us as we go into our service this morning. Continue to get glory for yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen.